Sean Bagshaw is a landscape travel photographer and photo educator based in Ashland, Oregon, where he lives with his wife and two sons. Sean started his photography business in 2004. Before that, he was a middle school science teacher. Always a traveller, adventurer and experience junkie, thanks to his mum and dad for raising him in the hills of southern Oregon, Sean began taking photos in college because he wanted to record and share his explorations. Now he goes on adventures with the main purpose of taking photos. When not creating, Sean enjoys teaching and sharing. His dream has always been to be able to combine photography with teaching. In addition to selling fine art prints and licensing his images, he teaches image developing, leads workshops and gives presentations whenever possible. Sean has found he's been able to reach the most people, though, through his video tutorials and YouTube videos. Sean is also a member of the photography team Photo Cascadia, working with Tony Kuiper. These talented folks are his travel companions, business partners, close friends and constant inspiration. We discuss his transition from full-time teacher to full-time photographer and educator, how he structured his business for success and where his favourite locations are, along with a lot more. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Sean. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Great, Grant. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, you've been a name on my very long list for a very long time. Uh, well, I say a very long time. I've only been doing this uh, about 18 months. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you you were very near the top of the list for, for quite some time, but I thought I'd build up a bit of a, a following before I uh, dragged you into this. Um, why don't you tell people that might not know Sean Bagshaw who, who you are and where you are and kind of what you do? Sure. I'm Sean Bagshaw. I'm in Southern Oregon, Ashland, Oregon, to be specific. And uh, we're, the, we're the last town in Southern Oregon before you hit the California border. So I'm just about, uh, I don't know, 15 miles from the northern border of California. And it's a great place to be if you're a landscape photographer. And uh, yeah, I've, I'm a landscape and, and travel photographer and photography educator. And I've been doing this now, um, getting close to 20 years. I think I'm at 19-ish wow. years, maybe doing it full time, um, which seems crazy. It doesn't seem like very long, but my previous career was as a middle school science and math teacher. Okay. And it feels like I did that a really long time, but I realized I only did that for 12 years. So wow. <laughs> I've, I've been doing this longer than the thing I think I did a long time, but um, I'm really happy to have been able to do both. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been a real treat to be a teacher and a photographer and now to be a, a photography teacher. Yeah. So you're putting together the, the photography skills with the education skills that you've uh gained over the years and uh, come up with a, a pretty good formula for a business. It did come out that way. You know, I, I with, with a teaching training and background, I am a horrible business person, so I never planned any of that. Um, but I, I think I am pretty good at kind of riding whatever wave happens to be coming by at the moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I never could have planned it out this way at the beginning, but that's the way that it's worked out. And I, I'm really glad that it has, because I think I don't have a lot of skills, but I think um, teaching and photography are two of the skills. If I have any, those are probably about it. <laughs> and nice. to be able to combine them both in, in the work I do and uh, share photography with other people has just been a dream for me. 
Yeah, I, I honestly don't think there's anything better than being able to share both the passion but also the ways of showing people how to open up their creativity. I think that's uh, it's a marvellous thing to be able to do. I agree. Why don't we go right back to the beginning? So where did Sean pick up his first camera? How did, how did, how did looking down the lens come about? Sure. I think, well, I think I had, you know, some little Instamatic camera when I was a kid that I got as a gift and, and it was fun. You know, you could put a little roll of film in it and it took like, I don't know, six photos or something. And Mm -hmm. I played around with that mostly as a toy at that point. So I can't say that was actually my start in photography. I think my real start in photography was in college. Um, And while I was at university, I also was very interested and and got involved in kind of outdoor adventure sports, mostly mountaineering, rock climbing, backpacking, some mountain biking and kayaking and stuff like that. And um, I became interested in just documenting it, just trying to get some documentary photos to record the things I was doing mostly. Mm -hmm. So I could try to, you know, brag to my friends and family or trap people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Basically trap people in a dark room, you know, and show them slides for hours. That kind of thing. But, uh, and I, at the time I did that just with a, a, a slightly more advanced, but still one button button single, you know, just single lens instant camera that I could just hang from my harness when I was mm-hmm. rock climbing and just hold it out and click the button. Uh, shooting slide film, that was probably the early 90s at that time. And I loved it. It was fun to to cr- kind of create those documents of adventures and then share them with people. But there were definitely a few photos, very few. <laughs> I would say, you know, maybe one in 100 or one in 300 where something came together and that particular image was more enjoyable to look at, more intriguing, more compelling than the other ones. And that got me thinking, okay, well, if it's possible to take those kind of photos, one in a few hundred, what are the elements and, and components of that? And how can I do that more frequently? And, do, yeah. and so and that how got do you me, improve the odds? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How do you improve the, how do you up the, the, the ROI there? Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, so I started, you know, doing some very rudimentary research into how to take photos, how cameras work, what are the elements of photography and, and really then became interested in photography more as a, as an art form and a pursuit all its own. And I kind of transitioned over a few years of time from going on trips and expeditions to climb mountains to going on trips and expeditions to take pictures of the mountains. And, uh, and that's what really got me into it and did that for several years. And at some point thought, yeah, I wonder if there's a way to make a living doing this because I love it so much. Fantastic. So in terms of that motivation, is it all about being in the outdoors or is it all about capturing the shot which which came first i guess and which is it that really sort of drives you to get out there and do it i think for me it's all about being in the outdoors and having the experience yeah and that's that's a question that comes up a lot and i and it's interesting as i talk to different people you know folks like yourself that are doing podcasts or 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 whatever and also just talking with some of my colleagues and friends about you know what's their motivation and certainly some people are motivated by 
the photography first. And yeah. I've, I've met people that hate being out in the dark, yeah, and yeah. The cold, you know, and hiking with a lot. <laughs> they don't want to get up at 4am in the morning to yeah. see the sunrise, but they do it. <laughs> yeah. They hate all that, but they really want the photo, you know? Yeah. And so they put up with it to get the photo where I'm the flip of that. I'm out doing that stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of times I'm out doing it without a camera and that's just fine. The bringing the camera along is a bonus for me. It gives me a different way to kind of uh, experience those 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 times in the in the outdoors in the landscape. Um, and I connect. I think you know. I, I I slow down. I connect more deeply with the landscape and the light and all that's around me. And then if I end up recording a photo or two that. Uh, that I enjoy or that helps communicate my experience to other people, then that's a real bonus. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly the the outdoor adventure is the primary adve- uh, motivation for me. Yeah, fantastic. One thing I really like to understand from photographers, uh, and you know, I'm still trying to understand this a little bit myself, is how important it is for some people to have a goal or a project in their photography and how much planning they they put into those elements as opposed to being more spontaneous. And as you say, you know, well, maybe you're going to be in that place anywhere. You just happen to have a camera, bang, take the shot. And if it's a good one, great. You know? So where, where are you on that spectrum from spontaneity back to, you know, uh, detail planning? I think I'm probably lean towards the spontaneity end of the spectrum a a bit more, but I definitely do some planning and I do have some level of kind of preconceptualizing or, you know, conceptualizing uh, ideas for photos that I want to take, but I'm definitely more spontaneous. Um, And again, this is, I think, everyone interfaces with photography in a different way. And that's one of the things that I think is great about it. And I definitely know people who are very deliberate and conceptual and planned out about their photography. Um, And yeah, I'm, I'm just not that way. I, I definitely go out and usually the photos I end up taking, if I did spend any time thinking about what photos I might take, the photos I do end up taking are very different from those from whatever ideas I ended up having. And I do follow the light uh, just, and, and I also don't get super wrapped up in feeling like I need to be photographing all the time, which I think is kind of that, you know, some people that are very goal oriented with their photography, it's like, you know, I need to have, you know, X number of shutter clicks per day or per week, or I'm not, you know, meeting my targets or whatever. But I go months at a time without taking a photo sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm spontaneous. If I'm feeling a photo, if I see something, uh, then I get the camera out. And if I'm not, I don't. And um, and like I said before, some of my favorite photos are ones that I never could have predicted or guessed mm. uh, in any way. Unplan- totally unplanned, yeah. Totally unplanned. <laughs> had no idea they were going to happen, yeah. Yeah, they, they tend to be the ones I, I like more than the, the, the ones where I have actually deliberately gone to a place and said, all right, well, I'm, I know this is there. I want to go and take a shot of it and <laughs> off I go. But uh, those spontaneous ones that you find, I, I think, are uh, sometimes way more enjoyable to, to look at, to play with and, and you know, to, to, to work with in, uh, in the uh, uh, post-processing suite. 
Yep. And I hear that from people, you know, I, I, in fact, I had an email just in the last week or so, but there, a lot of them come on a similar theme is, you know, so I, I went to this place, I knew the photo I wanted to get, I'd seen other photos like it, I had an idea of what the weather and mm-hmm. lighting that I wanted was going to be. And so I went there. And, you know, for whatever reason, that time I went to this place, it all lined up perfectly. And in the first attempt, I got my photo. And then I wondered what else. Yeah, you know, what's I, next? <laughs> they're like, so I didn't know what else to do at that point. I had taken the photo that I saw in my mind, yeah. you know, um, and then I didn't know where to go from there. And I think that's something that people struggle with is that idea of getting themselves into a corner or a box of, mm. I, I saw this thing, I'm going to re, I'm going to create that. But yeah. then once I've created that and that, you know, where do I go? Yeah. What, what's next? Yeah. So how do you, how do you deal with that yourself? How do you deal with that personally? Um, I just, like I said, for me, it's all the experience first. And I just go walk around. I, I look, I see, I, you know, I get on top of things. I poke my head behind things, down holes, over the edges of cliffs or whatever. And, um, you know, climb up something, descend down into a canyon, have the adventure, you know, wade through the river. And if I do all of that and no photos come of it, I'm fine with that. I'm yeah. totally fine with that. Um, but almost always, I mean, rarely do I go through that experience or that process and not find something that compels me to want to take a photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if, but if I do, there are those times when nothing strikes me or I'm just not in the, in the mood to take a photograph, then I go with that. That's fine. Then I just am enjoying my time being out doing whatever it is I'm doing. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great approach, I think. Yeah. In, ter- in terms of how you've evolved your photography, you mentioned first off it was kind of documenting what it was you were doing and where you were. How has that sort of evolved into something that's far more artistic? Because in my opinion, anyway, you tend to be more of an artistic photographer than a documentary photographer. And it's not to say your shots aren't realistic. <laughs> they certainly are. But it's, you know, where where would you put yourself on that spectrum and in that evolution from documentary photography through to artistic photography? That's a great question. Boy, I, you know, it's funny. I think for myself, um, I felt like almost kind of from the beginning that I was really far from documentary photography, far from very um, literal, realistic photography. But mm-hmm. I noticed that as time has gone on, um, I hear more and more other people who describe my photography as being very um, realistic or true or, um, I don't know, believable. I don't know, those kinds of descriptors. Um, and it's funny, I think because you know, I started in film and then I was on the early cutting edge of, of digital cameras and Photoshop image developing and a lot of that stuff. Um, and so at that time, I really was kind of out beyond what the film photographers had been able to do for the decades leading up to that. Yeah. Um, and it was pushing the boundaries and it was seen to be because it didn't look like traditional film photography. It was then not real or not 
uh, authentic or, you know, there was a lot of those kinds of things. So I remember saying to people, you know, like, well, I'm not trying to be literal or a realist here. I, you know, it's more impressionism. It's more, um, um, hyper reality or, you know, those kinds of things. And I feel like my sensibilities of how I photograph haven't changed, but now that whole digital, uh, age has caught and passed me. And now we see so much just fantastic, fantabulous sort of imagery, which I love. Um, now my my image images are often referred to as being kind of traditional or 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 normal. <laughs> to be honest, though, there's nothing nothing wrong with being traditional or or, or normal. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't mind either way. I mean, yeah, because yeah. in the end I think we're all just doing what we do. That's so I'm it. not trying yeah. to do anything. I just make the images that make sense to me. And it's just interesting to see other people's perceptions went from, whoa, he's really radical and he's breaking rules and he's pushing the boundaries and his photos don't look real to now, well, yeah, he's pretty conservative with how he develops his <laughs> photos. And I'm like, I'm yeah. still doing it the same. Yeah, <laughs> you don't feel that anything's changed the great deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that artistic choice or that creative choice to you know not necessarily add things you know i'm 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 not against composites or anything like that as long as it's kind of clear that that's what you're doing is creating digital art as opposed to just straight photography and i'm certainly not opposed to straight photography where you know it's i've tried to capture as many of these elements in one shot on on you know I'd, i'd personally do a lot of uh exposure blending uh in my photography and you know largely because it's dealing with high dynamic range so i'm trying to trying to capture what i can see with my eye which my camera can't (laughs) of course yeah um and i think that's to me that's again the beauty of this thing if we're going to call it art um is that we all get to do it how it makes sense to us or how we want to engage with it. And you can do it all different ways. Yeah. And yeah, I'm the same. You know, if I see some composite work that is just amazing, it's it's the, the skill and the artistry required to create some of the composite imagery that I see is just off the chart. Um, you know, is it traditional photography? No, but are we measuring everything on whether it meet some traditional photography uh you know playbook i'm not i mean i maybe some people do that yeah i I know that there are but and it's weird i see arguments online of people saying you know it's it should be all captured in one and i haven't you know i've barely processed it and everything and it's kind of like yeah but you're also sometimes there missing out on some of the creative elements that you and the creative choices that you can make. I'm not saying you shouldn't restrict yourself sometimes because that restriction itself can bring about other creative choices. But I I think a lot of people, you know, they, they kind of sit on either, either side of the, uh, the, the spectrum rather than kind of going, yeah, well, it's, it's all part of the same coin and we really, really shouldn't be having arguments about whether that's good, bad or indifferent. You know, I mean, you, you can like something or you can not like something and that's fine. But right. in terms of whether or not somebody should be doing something some way, I, I just don't understand why the, these arguments uh, brew up. Yeah. I mean, and I've, I've, I've had conversations with lots of 
friends who, you know, who's have a whole range of different ideas and attitudes or opinions about that. And I definitely can see, you know, if you're someone who has invested, you know, a lot of time and energy and skill and years of practice and maybe, um, you know, dedicated yourself to, to going certain places at certain times to create certain images. And there's a whole work uh, flow and body of work there that, that, that requires, I mean, that's a huge amount of commitment and skill. And for, you know, for someone else to come along and sit at their computer and type away and, and create something that matches or surpasses this thing that you worked years to be able to do. Uh, I can see how that um, ruffles some feathers, you yeah, know, on sure, some people. Sure. Um, but then again, I'm, I'm still in this place of, but we don't all work the same. And so, I mean, it's unfortunate that we have to feel like one person doing what they do uh, takes away from me doing what I do. I, yeah, I, I really yeah. feel like we, it should all be able to exist, you know, of its own. Um, uh, and it's just a little bit about maybe knowing something behind the story behind, you know, like this person's photos are created this way and this is their process. And this person's photos are created some other way. And this is their process. And if you care about those sorts of things, then that may play into, you know, how you relate with those different, those different pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, in this day and age, we don't always get to know that information. We just see. Oh, that's it. It's, it's really hard in a place like Twitter, for example, you've got 144 characters and yeah, you can't explain the whole process. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, most people just scroll their Instagram feed well, at hundred miles an hour and images just go winging by and you don't, even if somebody did explain what they yeah, were not reading the caption. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the challenges of the, the, the age we live in, I guess. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I'm really interested in what you see makes a unique image. Is it the place, the composition, is it, the, the the environment or the overall experience around how how the image was made yeah boy um it it's it's changed it's evolved over time for sure I mean there was a time when just being able to create a decent image at all somewhere <laughs> um, <laughs> made it a good image you know yep. just if you had the equipment and the skills, you know, I'm thinking of kind of Ansel Adams era type photography. I mean, sure. if you could lug a, a 40 pound camera into the high Sierra and, and all the glass with, plates and the all the glass plates. And the yeah. <laughs> and you had, you had 10, 10 glass plates and you spent a week and you took 10 photos. Yep. And if you could get one good photo out of those 10, then that made it a good photo. Um, and if you then also had some artistic sensibilities that you could also bring to the game with that too. Um, nowadays, you know, I just see so many different things for a while. It was really about, um, you know, being able to utilize the technology. Um, when we moved from film to digital, it's like, if you could use those digital tools and do things like exposure blending to overcome issues of dynamic range or, focus blending to overcome issues of depth of field or, you know, on and on and on all these ways that digital allows us to overcome traditional boundaries and, and um, yep. shortcomings of, of camera equipment, then that made it a good photo. 
And now I'm seeing that, you know, we're even going beyond that to where some of it's going back to very more simple basics of photography, but vision and, you know, what is your creative eye? What is it that you see out there in the world Mm -hmm. and how do you frame it and how do you choose to record it and present it to other people in a way, you know, that comes from inside you, inside your mind, that doesn't matter what camera or what image editing software or what computer anyone else had, you're the only one who saw it and captured it and presented it that way. So more and more, I feel like those are the things that really interest me. That and also finding and going places to photograph in landscape photography. And I think it probably applies to other genres of photography also, but where you're actually doing something different, you know, maybe photographing something that hasn't been necessarily photographed before, which gets harder and harder these days. I mean, so many of the photos that we see that are beautiful and technically excellent, but they're basically recreations of photos that have been taken over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really hard to uh, take a different photo. For, I, I live in Sydney, the Sydney Harbour Bridge or the Opera House. I, I keep using those as examples. You know, there's only so many angles where you can actually take a shot. But I still do see people coming up with unique compositions or unique angles that you know I've I've not seen before, or you know somebody else. And the the other side of that is is that the, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking that iconic shot of an iconic location wherever it is, as long as you've never done it before, I guess, and it's your take on it, you know? Sure. Absolutely. And I, I, I'm the same. I, I don't have, and I, you know, if I'm in a place, no matter how many times it's been photographed, if, if I'm feeling like I want to take a photo, I take a photo. Yeah. And it's, it really comes from in here, that feeling. Uh, yeah. And, and even in, you know, a place that's been photographed like the Sydney opera house, which your photos are just brilliant of it, by the way, I mean, as much as it's been photographed, yours are great. And knowing a place, being intimate with a place, uh, being able to visit it and photograph it over and over again. And then, then some of those fine personal nuances start to come out, you know, where you notice that that certain time of day or that certain time of year or that one particular type of lighting that only rarely Mm -hmm. happens. Uh, Or, you know, if I just stand 10 feet to the left and then put my tripod another foot higher, then it's a whole different image than I've ever seen before. And those kinds of images are fresh and new and creative, even from places that get photographed to death. And, sometimes knowing a place intimately is what makes that possible. Yeah, it can actually be an advantage because you, you're you able to go back and repeat and practice and learn from mistakes and say, oh, I know where I should have stood. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. What does success look like for you in your photography? Oh, that can boy. be the photographs and the images themselves, or it could be in business. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, Forever, I've always wanted to keep photography and the business of photography kind of separate in my mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, But 
you can't be in this business. You know, if photography is what pays your bills and turns the lights on and, you know, helps your kids go to college, it's hard to then separate the pure photography from the pure business stuff. Um, So yeah, success, I guess for me, success in photography, just creatively and artistically and personally is that, um, that I enjoy it, that it's fun and engaging and challenging Mm -hmm. that I'm not bored with it. (laughs) Uh, and that I'm always learning and progressing or evolving Um, to me, that's success in photography. And then, you know, over a long period of time that will lead where it leads. And hopefully, you know, if you're really immersing yourself in the art form, um, you know, you're going to evolve and and progress and, and create better and better work. I just think that's true. Uh, It's people that don't enjoy the, the photography, I think, um, that that kind of stagnate or get stuck or or just lose their their inspiration. Um, in terms of success, in a business sense, um, I think anyone who is doing photography legitimately as their business and makes their living or even part of their living as a photographer has succeeded because it's not an easy thing to do. Oh, definitely uh, not. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, especially landscape photography or, you know, travel photography, um, who wouldn't want to go out and travel around and go to pretty places and take photos of it. And then that's, that's how you make your living. Um, so there's no job for that. Sounds good. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds great. I mean, and that's why I think it's really taken off that there are so many people, you know, photography used to be this obscure thing that hardly anyone did. It was kind of some weirdos back in, in the early well, particularly days. Particularly landscape photography, you know, wed- weddings, portraits, that sort of thing. That was that that was kind of separate. Sure. And maybe some of those guys did landscape on the side for themselves and <laughs> didn't, yeah, didn't but, really you know, do much with it, you know. Exactly. You were kind of had to you were this kind of fringe of society hermit who wandered in the in the in the wilderness and then hid in your dark room or whatever you That's did, right. you know. But now in the last um, 10, 15, 20 years, it's like this explosion of interest in photography. And, you know, so many people enjoy photography as, as, you know, as a hobby and a pastime and all of that. And so if you can take that and then also figure out how to make a living at that, I just think that's successful. And it's, it's not easy at all. There's no you know, there's no job listing for landscape photographer. You can't go in no. the help wanted ads and, no. you know, submit Not your application. employing them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you have to create it for yourself. And anyone who finds a way, whether that's through, you know, selling prints, um, you know, working on assignment commercially or editorially, mm-hmm. whether that's um, uh, teaching other people how to do it, whether it's um, writing, whether it's, you know, or a combination of all of those. Um, yeah, I think that's success right there. Yeah, yeah. Talking about that lifestyle choice, because that's kind of what it is. If, you, if you're going to go full time, it's, it's definitely a lifestyle choice. How did you make that decision? Did it did it come naturally and it was an obvious thing to do or was it forced on you or was it something that you'd thought about for a long time and thought, yeah, I could give it a go? I've told this story a few, a few times over the years and it's funny because, again, I just think that um, I just love 
photography so much, along with a lot of other things that I like to do so much. Um, but I definitely, you know, never found a way to make a living doing any of those other things that I love to do. Um, and so photography kind of fits, you know, I loved a mountain bike, but I was in no danger of ever being a professional mountain biker. You know, (laughs) I love to climb mountains, but I was never in danger of being a professional mountain climber. You know, there's just, those things were not on the table. Um, and, but I categorized my photography in with my other hobbies like that. Um, and so the point at which I decided to make a lifestyle switch was I'd been doing my teaching career for 10 or 12 years and I loved it. Um, but my, when my wife and I, my wife was also a middle school science teacher. So we had the same job and we, because we understood each other's jobs and we had the exact same schedule, we could completely throw ourselves into our teaching, which we did. Mm -hmm. Um, but then we had our own kids and realized that we couldn't continue working the teaching jobs with the same level of hours and intensity that we had been and grown accustomed to, and also be decent parents to our kids. And that's when we started thinking about, okay, so how can we maybe try to create a lifestyle that's a little more flexible and we can be at home more and have more energy and time for our own kids. And at that time, we had some savings, uh, some savings, uh, not, not a ton. It was, it was a decent amount of savings that um, my wife said, okay, this sounds like you want to give this photography thing a go. Um, you've got five years to try to make back your teacher's salary, which at the time was wow. a pretty low bar because teachers in the United yeah, States don't true. get paid a lot. So it wasn't a <laughs> high is, bar. It's the same here in Australia. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I thought, I thought, well, there's no chance that I'll do that, but I can't pass. I, you know, I I need to at least give it a try. And in the end, I will have, I will have had the wonderful experience of playing photographer for five years. And then I'll be re-energized to go back to teaching. I honestly believe that was what was going to happen. But somehow right at the five-year mark, I managed to scrape together a teacher salary out of photography and then thought, all right, I guess I did it. I guess I get to keep going. And I really just felt like that every day since then is like, all right, I'm still scraping this together. So I guess I get to keep going. Fantastic. That's, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) It is great. I don't know how it works or how it happened because like I said, I'm not someone who plans well or, you know, devises a business strategy. Um, but I'm also not going to, um, I'm I'm not going to argue with it. Yeah, no, fair enough. One one of the things uh, people starting their photography business journey, or you know, and and even if they're still doing it part time and they just wanted to make a bit of money on the side, is uh, trying to formulate a way for pricing your work. And here I'm not talking about setting the actual price yourself, but working out okay, this is what I need to price it at to get myself into uh, a, a state where I'm actually earning money out of it. Did you think about it in that way or was it more, okay, well, I'll just sort of start pricing it uh, based on what I see around the, the market or did you do something more formulaic to come up with, a, a, a I guess, a formula for deciding how to, how to set a price? 
Yeah, I feel like at least in the United States, I don't know how it is in Australia, but uh, in the United States, for sure, that's been a real moving target mm. uh, in the entire time that I've been in the business. And maybe it's always been that way. Um, and and also it it varies depending on, uh, you know, what your products are and also what your, um, you know, kind of your geographic reach is. Because I know here in Southern Oregon, when I first started, I was taking any job that involved a camera that that paid a few bucks, you know. So I was yeah. photographing, you know, high school senior portraits and weddings. And I photographed people's pets. I photographed, you know, custom furniture. I photographed real estate and architecture. You name it. I did magazine assignments, all of it. If somebody said, can you take a picture of this and we'll pay you some money. <laughs> I said, yes. Yeah. I'll be um, <laughs> yeah. And all of those, the pricing would vary, I found, but also from where I am in Southern Oregon, the, you know, I would go online and read like, well, if you're doing a commercial photo shoot of, you know, product photography, this yep. is what you need to charge. And in my little small community here, I'm like, I can't charge the guy who's making homemade furniture in his you can't in charge his him 350 bucks an hour or whatever <laughs> yeah you know it's just not it's just not in his budget so a lot of it was knowing you know what my own market was and then also figuring out okay so what how much can i actually in terms of back to your question of what do i need to charge you know how much money do i need to bring in what are my expenses and then you know how much do i need to charge to cover the expenses and have an income uh, then I, you know, began looking at like, all right, so maybe my local um, community here is good for start getting the the wheels turning and getting experience and getting going. But yeah. then I need to start branching out and going beyond that. Um, and that eventually did come back then it was, you know, stock photography and print sales. And so I could sell those further abroad and, um, you know, target uh, advertising agencies in New York City that did pay a lot of money to license an image where, you know, I could maybe charge 50 bucks here in Ashland, Oregon. I could charge $5,000 in New York City. Yeah, so tapping yeah. into some yeah. of that was um, was helpful. But even that market then kind of disappeared, that moving target. And then right about somewhere in there is when the teaching piece kind of hit me in the head by accident. Um, and that to now has been for me, the most reliable way to make an income is that yeah. there are enough people in the world who want to learn photography that there's a market and I can pay or I can charge, a, I think, a reasonable price and also mm -hmm. still make a reasonable income. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. That's really great advice, I think. Um, in terms of where you like to shoot, I mean, you've obviously shot all over the world. You've you know, been to Iceland, et cetera, et cetera. What's your favorite place to have shot? Well, I'm pretty sure my favorite place when I finally get there will be Australia. <laughs> so you've not been? I have not been to Australia. It's high on my bucket list. Um, I know uh, quite a few photographers from Australia. Um, I have some 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 good good mates actually from Australia who come over here to photograph in Oregon. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I meet them when they come here. Um, but no, I, I think for Australia, it's a far enough trip that, and it's a big place with so much that I know I want to do A lot of, lot of different, 
landscapes. You, yeah. I mean, even just along the coastline of the the state I'm in, you go from, you know, down the south coast where there's lots of sea stacks, etc., through to golden beaches, to white sand beaches, to red sand beaches, to you know, it, it, it's varied. And that's just the coastline of one one of the states. And then you get up into Queensland, you've got the Barrier Reef and all that. Absolutely, yeah. And I know, uh, that, you know, how big it is and how diverse it is. And so it's been kind of, I've been putting it on the back burner until I have a chance to come and spend some time and do it, do it yeah. right. I don't want to yeah. just Cut. show coming up. Coming for, for a week's not going to, not going to cut it. <laughs> yeah. Just coming for a week and, and, you know, and, and hitting a couple of highlights is not going to, I mean, that would still be great. I would love that too, but photographically, yeah, I want to, I want to come and be able to spend some time. Um, but it is high on my list for sure. In terms of places that have been, um, you know, I got my start in the mountains with with photography, and so mm-hmm. I have a real soft spot for for mountain uh, photography. So, boy, you know, the Himalayas, the Alps, the Italian Alps, the Dolomites, um, the Rocky Mountains, both in the United States and in Canada, the Cascade Range that you know is my home home mountain range here in the West Coast. Uh, the Sierra Mountains down down in California, uh, yeah, I just can't get enough mountains and traveling in the mountains and photographing in mountains. Um, and um, the other place that really has captured me in in more recent years is the um, the coastal redwood forest, yeah. uh, the Northern California coastal redwood forest. It's only about two hours from from where I live, so I can get there fairly quickly and i i find myself just going back there all the time and and uh there's just something about being in those forests that is you just i can't compare to anything else yeah yeah it's definitely a place on my bucket list (laughs) same with the oregon coast and and actually all the way up washington up into up into vancouver It's a very beautiful part of the world out here for sure. Well, if you if you get in this area, definitely give me a ring and uh, let me know. Uh, certainly will. Certainly will. Um, one, one of the things talking about where you live and uh, where you shoot, how I'm, I'm really interested in how that influences maybe how you shoot and what you shoot or do you go into the field thinking, okay, well, I'm going to shoot this way because, you know, let's say it's the the, the coast that you're on and you want to catch uh, some, you know, water flow or whatever, and so therefore you're going to that's going to dictate a, a quarter second or a half second shutter speed or whatever. You know, how does where you are dictate what you want to shoot, or do you look at it a, 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 in a different way? Yeah, I think I really just kind of um, respond in the moment to, you know, whatever's going on. Um, I mean, I mean, there's definitely some landscape photographers that, you know, use a lot of different techniques. But I I find that a lot of landscape photographers, you know, you kind of have your tripod, your camera body, kind of your three key lenses, you know, the wide angle out to your telephoto couple filters and and you're and you're good for pretty much whatever you run across um and then with that kit 
then you're kind of just responding to, you know, what you're seeing and what the conditions are certainly, you know, working with different shutter speeds and, um, and, uh, you know, different depths of field and, and, um, you know, going super wide angle and doing forced perspectives with extreme close-up foregrounds in places where that, you know, makes sense to do. Uh, and then going the other way, going telephoto and picking out small scenes and uh, finding small details and isolating areas. Um, that's a lot of fun to do, too. So I, I, I don't know that I'm that different from a lot of landscape photographers in those respects. The one thing I have noticed that, uh, that has really changed um, for me in the last few years, and part of this is... Um, the advance in camera technology and the ability to sh to photograph at higher ISOs, so you can and, and with with image stabilization in camera and in the yep. lens and all of that stuff, being able to get off the tripod. Yeah. And so nowadays, you know, if I've got any amount of light and I can shoot handheld, I'm going for that. And nowadays, even into very low light and um, being able to photograph handheld really changes the game in a lot of ways being able to put that camera anywhere you want in a moment's notice yeah yeah uh, being is, able is to really cool. react to the light and to to the environment absolutely and you know and now you can even like my camera um does in in camera uh focus bracketing so mm. even if i want to you know get the camera in a place where it just there's no depth of field and there's no aperture that's going to capture the depth of field well i can set it up to handhold and just press the shutter and it bam 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 bam, bam fires a a, a a series of focus points yep. that i can focus stack later and i can do that holding it one hand you know up over my head somewhere where i could never get a tripod in place no so that's, that's pretty that's pretty cool yeah no, I think there's there's a lot of a lot of new technology that's uh, really changed the way that people take photos. Even down to the the phones now, the you know you got 45 megapixels in a, in the latest iPhone, for example, you know, which uh, just blows my mind the 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 quality of some of the images. I saw we had the uh, lunar eclipse last night, and uh, oh, how was it? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, we we had reasonable conditions here in Sydney. You could actually you could see it go red and, you know, you, you got the totality and everything. So it was quite nice. Very nice. Um, did you get it? I, did you, did you photograph it? I personally didn't. Um, the moon's not my thing, but that's, yeah. you know. <laughs> Fair enough. Although that um, blood moon over the opera house could be pretty. pretty yeah. Well, the, the thing is, is that there's plenty of other people doing it. So I kind of. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Fair but, enough. And it's not been there, done that, but it's kind of like, yeah, well, I, I don't, I don't necessarily want to copy everyone else. <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, but anyway, but you said, had it. It was there. Did see, did see some unique shots this morning, actually coming out of out of people. But the the point I was trying to make is that some of those shots were handheld on iPhones, you know, or and just mind blowing that you can actually get that dynamic range and get the you know the detail i mean it's not necessarily the it, you'll never blow it up to a you know three meter print <laughs> right no we live in an incredible time and um and what a fun activity to be able to do you know absolutely um, you know f f photography and and that uh you don't have to be 
a dedicated photographer with a big backpack full of photography equipment. If you don't want to, you can go out with the thing everyone's carrying around in their in their pocket and take some really creative, artistic, wonderful images. That's it. That's it. Speaking about memorable experiences, what's your most memorable experience while out uh, shooting? Oh, oh boy. Um, I'm trying to, let's see, what would it be? Hmm. I've had so many over the years. I think there's one that comes back to me often. It was kind of from kind of the early days, you know, maybe the first few years of when I was trying to do landscape photography fairly seriously. Hmm. Um, and it's not because the story itself or, you know, anything that happened or even necessarily the photographs were anything special. Um, but it was just kind of the setup for it where I had gone to Glacier National Park um, mm-hmm. in, in the fall season to f- try to, you know, create some beautiful photographs. And I spent nine days there and whatever the weather pattern was that fall was just horrible. The, it was just um fogged in, clouded in, raining for the whole time. Uh, you know, I never saw the mountains. They were, you wow. know, it was low <laughs> elevation clouds or sideways raining. I had an old Volkswagen Eurovan camper van at the time that I was staying in while I was out there. And I remember I even would p- pull out on the side of the road and roll open the sliding door and set up yep. my tripod inside the van and photograph <laughs> out of the van because that was the only way I could even get a photo without my lens just getting soaked. Um, And I I basically spent nine days and didn't get any images to speak of, you know, I I mean, I, and it's too bad nowadays I would even in those conditions, find some great photographic opportunities. But back then I was just so focused on that. I was going to be photographing these peaks of glacier, you know, glacier national park and waterfalls and fall color and all that stuff. And, and so I just, with, when that stuff wasn't there, I didn't know what to do with myself. So I came home and it's about a, I don't know, eight or 900 mile drive from Montana back to Oregon and nine days and nothing to show for. And I was kind of depressed and got home. And then the next morning, for some reason, I thought, you know what, you just need to get back on the horse and get back out there. So I drove about an hour in the dark before sunrise from my house uh, up the Rogue River, the upper Rogue River. And as I was driving, I kind of saw this gap on the horizon uh, and some amazing clouds. And I thought, you know, I think the sun is going to rise through that gap on the horizon. And I made it to a place called the Rogue River Gorge, which is this nice rock gorge with the kind of a cascade of water coming through it and just photographed the most life-affirming, stunning sunrise that I've seen before or since. Uh, I made some, for the time, some photographs that I really loved and did it within an hour of my house. And so, you know, just having, after having that whole nine day experience, which was really disheartening and, and uh, depressing and whatnot, and was ready to, to quit. Um, then to, then one day later to go out near my own home, not hundreds of miles away and have this just incredible f- photographic experience, um, you know, t- taught me, a great lesson about, you know, what is it we're really doing out here and, you know, just how, how things in the world and in life go. I mean, that's just how life is, you know? And so, and all of that sticks with me 
like I said, it wasn't the most spectacular place I've been. It wasn't my best photo. It wasn't anything harrowing, but it definitely sticks with me. <laughs> so talking about harrowing experiences, was the, the nine days your, your horror story or have you got other horror stories? <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that was a horror story. Um, because, uh, you know, cause I was pretty comfortable. I had a nice VW camper van to sleep in and I oh, had food, sure. you know, and so it wasn't, wasn't fun and I wasn't making photographs that I enjoyed, uh, but I wasn't suffering at all. Um, let's see, harrowing. Um, you know, I, back in the day, I, I climbed, um, Denali, Mount McKinley in Alaska yep. on two different occasions and did some photography up there at, uh, high, high elevations that, um, the whole, you know, the whole experience being out there living on the mountain like that and trying to climb a peak like that is, is harrowing. Um, I, I trekked through the, the Himalayas around Mount Everest by myself solo, uh, had some definitely interesting, um, experiences out there that were somewhat harrowing in different ways. Um, yeah, so those kinds of experiences are, are definitely out there, but somehow those aren't the ones that stick out in my mind. Yeah, you know, those are just part of the. I, I guess I feel like you know being cold or being tired or being sore or those kinds of things kind of go with the territory. I, yeah, that, yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah, well, um, if the you, things if, that, if you're not, you're probably not going far enough to get the show. Correct. Yeah. And I think for me, the things I remember are, you know, thing, you know, light events, um, uh, just special moments where the, you know, everything kind of came together and I got to be there at this time that just, uh, you know, I just don't even have words for, I can't describe the experience of getting to be there in a moment of time. As a teacher, you'd probably understand this question. What have you learned about the world through the practice of photography? Hmm. Um, well, I've definitely learned to kind of, as I alluded to earlier, um, to slow down hmm. and pay attention uh, and um, and really focus on the moment that you're living at that moment. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think, I think as people, we, 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 we spend a lot of time very wrapped up in our minds in the past and in the future, or even on things, imaginary things that never happened and probably never will happen. Um, and even, like I said, being out in the landscape, without a camera, I'm still in that place in my mind where I'm thinking about the next election cycle or, you know, how am I going to pay some bills or that yep. thing I said uh, uh, two years ago that now I, I feel stupid. <laughs> I wish I'd never said it. And I, I replay it in my mind over and over again. Yeah, all, you know, all of those things but, that our, our little inner voices do to us. Yeah. Exactly. But with photography, when the, when the camera comes out and I'm out in the landscape, uh, I, I truly am paying attention to what's actually happening mm. and what I'm actually seeing, hearing, smelling, feeling at that moment. Um, and, and that's been really valuable. And it's, it's helped me be able to also translate that to when I, I don't have a camera. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I don't know that I ever would have. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, the, the post-processing side of things. We've talked a fair bit about how, you know, getting out into the world and taking the shot and lining up the comp is, uh, that, that's all about it, you know. But you do a, a, a fantastic line in YouTube videos and I've learnt quite a bit from uh, sitting watching you doing things. Um, where did you learn your post-processing? Was it trial and error, other people's YouTube, or did you go through some formal training somewhere? I did not go through formal training. And uh, when I was learning, um, there there was no there was no YouTube. Um, there <laughs> it was there wasn't even social media. It was pre uh, anything. The one thing I so a lot of it was trial and error. A lot of it was um, yeah, just fiddling around and. Do, you know, doing it the slowest, wrongest possible way, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, in the early days uh, when I was getting into when the, you know, when I got my first digital camera, which I think was about 2001. Yeah. And that was also when I first, you know, Photoshop had been around before that, but unless yeah, you yeah. were scanning your film, you weren't using Photoshop. Yeah. Um, so once yeah. I got a digital camera, then Photoshop, and that just opened up this whole world of possibilities that I never had before, because, you know, until then I would take photos on slide film and send off the roll of film and cross my fingers and then be disappointed with, with what came back. So yeah. being able to develop my own images was just groundbreaking. And at that time, there was a website here. It still exists. It's called naturephotographers.net, NPN. Um, this was early, early 2000s. I don't know when the, when the site itself actually started, but it was an old forum bulletin board sort of website, yep. but you could actually post images and other photographers could critique and you would share ideas and give suggestions. And that's where a lot of my learning did, uh, mm -hmm. took place was in that community on that website, uh, meeting other photographers who I, you know, I didn't know any others in my area, but was able to meet people online and share ideas. And um, and we were all kind of figuring it out together because it was yeah, brand new. Yeah. And uh, so it was really fun. And, and a lot of those people that I knew from those days are still my friends and colleagues to this day. In fact, um, everyone who's in Photo Cascadia, uh, which is a photo group that I'm a member of that we've been going for about 13 years now, Mm -hmm. We all know each other from from that website. And I was really excited because that website kind of fell into disrepair. And it's been uh, in the last few years, it was purchased by David Kingham and Jennifer Renwick. Okay. And they completely revamped and upgraded it. And uh, I would say anyone who wants a really solid photographic community where you can learn and share ideas and it's not social media at all, check out naturephotographers.net. It's a really great photographic community. Fantastic. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. I, I, I know that you've, because I've watched uh, a little bit about Photo uh, Cascadia before, um, why don't you talk a little bit about that for people that may be uh, un unfamiliar with the, the group and why it exists and what it does? Sure. Um, so I, I think... 
14, 13, 14 years ago, somewhere in there, um, uh, Adrian Klein, who was someone that I met through NPN, mm -hmm. uh, had this mm -hmm. idea. And at the time, there were there had been other kind of photography collectives throughout time. You know, there's the famous F64 group of, uh, you know, Ansel Adams and the other folks that were part of that group. And there had been other groups kind of even in, in that period of time that we knew about. But Adrian thought, you know what? It'd be cool to have a group of like-minded, similar uh, kind of disposition, Northwest photographers, just to kind of be able to work together with, um, support each other, run ideas by all of that. So he reached out to uh, five other photographers that he knew through NPN, and we all kind of knew each other tangentially um, and said, hey, I'm thinking of kind of forming this group. Um, anybody interested? And all five of us said yes. So that formed the original six members of Photo Cascadia. So it's Adrian Klein, Chip Phillips, Zach Schnepp, Kevin McNeil, David Cobb, and myself. And then uh, a couple years after that, after we had been going together with that group, we became aware of Aaron Bobnick yep. and her photography. Uh, and kind of in the same time period, you know, she reached you know, was aware of Photo Cascadia and connected with us. And so, um, you know, we just really impressed with her work and her writing and her artistry and all of that. And so eventually we uh, invited her to be part of the group. And so the seven of us now have been that group for quite a while. And in terms of what the group is, it's just really a photography collective. I guess that's the best way to put it. It's not a business on its own. Uh, we all have our own individual businesses. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a it's a place where we're now just really good friends and colleagues uh, that have stood the test of time. Uh, we collaborate on all sorts of projects and ideas together. We team up in twos and threes to lead workshops. Uh, we often end up more than one of us together at a photo photo conference at the same time, you know, um, we've done books together. We've done, um, you know, calendar projects, lots of different image licensing projects that being a group of seven photographers, uh, gives you a library of images, um, that any one photographer would be difficult to have sure. available. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, it's been a lot of advantages, but I would say the biggest thing, if anything that has come out of photo Cascadia is that it's just really great relationships and partnerships with with those people yeah and i think it it sort of highlights that need for photographers to network with one another and you know i, I get in if you're in a fairly remote location that can be quite difficult because you might be the only one for you know 100 miles around but you know that that ability to network and actually you know put your collective minds together and say okay well this is a really good idea and and bounce ideas off one another i think that's a that's a fantastic uh thing that you can do as a a, a photographer to to get yourself i guess lined up particularly if you're making a business out of it absolutely and i see i see it um you know quite a lot these days um i was just on a podcast uh, a couple of days ago with uh, 
three three guys two of them from the uk and then yep. an, another yep. australian matt bishop who now lives in italy i guess but yeah, the yeah, three yeah. of them kind of have a, a a collective and a podcast they do together and have a really great kind of uh trifecta there it seems seems really great and you know that's the thing too with the technology we have these days here and we're having this conversation like we're in the same room and you're on the other side of the world for me and that's right. you can so you don't have to have photographer i mean if you have photographers that you can go out and go to the pub with you know on a friday night that's great absolutely but if you don't then you're, you're not without options and that's how you know photo cascadia we're spread across the pacific northwest yeah um mm -hmm. the closest photo cascadia to member to me is three and a half hours away and we see each other as a group maybe once a year in mm -hmm. in person um but that doesn't stop us from being able to collaborate and work together yeah you mentioned a, a little while ago, uh, you know, if if you get bored with photography, do you ever get bored with photography? Have you ever hit a creative wall and said, nah, I, I don't want to do this anymore? Or, or is it I never, always... Go on. I never do. I never do. I, I, I think I get bored with the act of taking photographs from time to time, kind of as I oh. mentioned earlier, where I just... Today, I don't feel like taking a photograph. And I hear people talk about that, you know, it's like artist block or, you know, yep. what am I going to do? It's been five days and I just can't bring myself to go take any photographs. And I'm thinking, that's so? <laughs> that's fine. That's, <laughs> that's not, right. I mean, I, I get that some people, you know, it depends on how you've set up your, if you're in photography as a business, mm. if your business mm. is designed around going out and creating photos every day, like you're photographing for clients and they expect you to show up on the day you said you'd be there. I get that. That's different. But if photography is your hobby or if you do a photography business that isn't dependent on creating images every single day, um, then being bored with or not interested in taking photos sometimes to me is not the same as being bored with photography. No. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I'll go sometimes days, weeks, months without taking a photograph. But when I do get back out there and feel the impulse to go take a photograph, it's still just it, probably even more amazing than it was at the beginning. I still just get as energized by it when I'm out doing it and, and I'm in that right space for it. What's your favorite thing about being a photographer? Oh, for me, the favorite thing is th that it's somehow this incredible activity that I don't understand it. I don't question it, but it's enabled me to do things I enjoy doing, be creative, hmm. um, appreciate my world and nature and the, the things that are going on around me uh, as a science teacher uh, to to connect with kind of the the realities of weather and optics and uh nature and ecosystems and all of that um and then also somehow make a living at it <laughs> so it, that's that's not one thing but the fact that all of those things kind of meet in the middle for me yeah uh i i love that I, and again i don't know how that works i'm just glad that it does and i'm gonna just ride it as long as i can <laughs> <laughs> why not <laughs> yeah what's your least favorite thing about being a photographer mm, oh boy 
I would, mm, I don't know if there's anything about the, the actual photography itself that I dislike. Uh, but I, I, I don't enjoy, you know, with the business aspect, as soon as you bring a business into it, and, and that's always, I think, a, a danger for anyone who is passionate about photography as a hobby is if you decide you're going to, you know, overlap it with business stuff, yep. is that going to ruin your hobby for you? Yeah. Uh, fortunately, it's for feel me, like work as opposed to, yeah. Fun. yeah. Exactly. Or the pressure of, you know, that you're out doing it because you got to figure out how to make a living from it versus being able to just do the thing you enjoy with no pressure. Mm. Um, and I know plenty of people who tried and realized it was ruining photography for them and, and said, I'm going to go do something else. And other people that just know instinctively and said, I do this to not work. And so I, you know, I'm not going to deliberately deliberately i'm not yeah, going to it's a, it's a form of relaxation as opposed to something that i want to make money out of exactly that's the last thing i would ever think of doing with my photography is is making a business out of it so i get all of that um uh but oh now i lost the thread sorry <laughs> i was going with that what, what was your least favorite thing about photography? oh the least favorite right, right so the business part uh, yeah. So, you know, there's parts of running a business and that's not just photography, any business, you know, you got to balance the books, you got to file yeah. your taxes. You got to you gotta, pay your tax. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I have to, um, uh, figure out why my website is broken. Yeah. Uh, I need to do, you know, a lot of those kinds of administrative things, but that's really not about, that's just called business. I mean, or yeah. work. I mean, when we work, that's part of it. And if you're a small business, you're the CEO, the marketing manager, the <laughs> the cleaner, right. <laughs> et cetera, exactly. et cetera. Yeah. And so that does, if I get bored with anything or bored, it just becomes tedious. Or if I think in the morning when I get up uh, and think about my day, every once in a while, some of those things are like, oh, I, I wish I didn't have to go do that right now. Mm. That's mm -hmm. the stuff. But none of that's really photography when I get down to it. Yeah, sure, sure. What do you say is the biggest challenge facing photographers right now? Well, I think to me it seems biggest challenge is the is this if you're someone who wants to have a voice or be seen in the world as a photographer, I think that's extremely challenging right yeah. now and only and only getting harder all the time mm -hmm. um i know so many people who are brilliant photographers who do it completely personally they've never shown a photograph to anyone who they didn't know personally they have no interest in having a instagram page or a website or anything like that they just and for them it's not a challenge because they they know exactly wh why they're doing photography and it it's not a challenge for them, but I think for some of us, and I'm included in that is part of being a photographer is that my photographs get seen and get yeah. out there. And there's just so many people doing it these days. And it's so easy to share photographs that um, it's, you know, the gr really great photographs and great photographers are lost in, in the tide. Yeah. 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 And so to feel like you're able to 
I think for some people, that's a real challenge. They feel like if I'm not being seen, if my images aren't being seen, if I'm not getting the thumbs up on Facebook or I'm not getting a, a huge following on Instagram or whatever their measure is of, of, of success as a photographer, they feel like they're not succeeding. And that could be the complete opposite of the truth. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I definitely see a lot of photographers that that's a challenge for them. They get disheartened because photography comes becomes about the numbers rather than what you personally are doing it for. Yeah, yeah. I've said this to a number of people, uh, not not just on the podcast, but uh, in Twitter spaces and a, a few other forums. You know, when people are talking about that as an issue that. You know they're they're struggling with engagement on social media and and so forth. I just say, well, why did you start photography in the first place? Remember that. Keep that in your mind, and forget about the numbers. The numbers will come and go as they do because the algorithm will change, or you know people will look at your work and go stylistically, it's not not for me, and move away from that style of photography. Maybe you know. So it, it, it's it, it's really about thinking about what's in it for you and why you started and i think a lot of a lot of people that get caught up in that social media uh i, I guess depression cycle forget that and they don't realize that those numbers in in and of themselves aren't that important yeah and i get it because it's hard and i do the same thing you know i I post a photo, <laughs> been doing it for decades and I post a photo and, and then all day long I'm checking, you yeah. know, <laughs> anybody like it? What are people saying? You know, I, I'm in the same boat. We all are. It's so yeah. hard to not be there. But at the same time, I can also honestly say if social media disappeared tomorrow, if my business in photography dried up and not another cent came in tomorrow, mm -hmm. would I still go for a walk in the hills with my camera? That's I absolutely. It. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's the thing to keep in the back of your mind when when your numbers aren't going the way that you'd like them to is to say, well, would you would you be carrying that camera and you know the backpack full of gear out into the bush or out in, out to the coast or whatever? And if the answer is yes, I would. Well, you know that's all that really matters. Precisely. Yeah, I I think so too. Where do you see the future of photography going? Well, I hope there'll always be a space for in landscape photography for the kind of sense of exploration and adventure and discovery mm -hmm. and personal artistic uh, exploration. I hope there'll always be that. Whatever else photography becomes, I hope that that will be available to people on on whatever level. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely, I mean, obviously as more people do it, as there's more ways to share it and have it out there. And so there's a bigger and bigger supply and a lower and lower demand. And also now, as we see, I, you know, I, I, I've fiddled around with, uh, I don't know if you're aware of some of the AI, um, yep. software yep. mid journey is one of them that I messed around with the other days just because I was curious, but the fact now that anyone can type in a few words and it spits out images for you. Um, I mean, at this point, there's still not photographs, 
but no. we're not far away and it will yeah. be they will be indistinguishable they're getting close to being photorealistic and it won't be won't be long before they are and i i can exactly. see a time where in your phone camera there'll be an ai component which will allow you to enhance the image you know you don't like the sky change it if you you know, right. and, and all you have to do is say change the sky to uh, a nice red sunset or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you, sure. you say that into your phone, your camera changes it, there's your picture, post it on Instagram, happy days. <laughs> right. And that's where I always come back to. And I don't know if this will be true or not. I mean, because that may, you know, win any image possible and even images that aren't possible because there are places that don't even really exist, but they look mm. like they do. Uh, when those are available, you know, like, air <laughs> yeah uh, does that completely take all the value away from photography and that's where i come back to i i really i honestly feel like i mean it probably takes some of the value away from photography but for those of us that really enjoy the process of going out into the landscape being part of that and then taking something from our experience and our mind and our vision and recording it um, for, you know, that that'll still be worth doing, even if it's just, I'm the only one who ever sees it. <laughs> That's exactly um, it. Yeah. And it goes back to what you said before. If you're, if you were going out there to take that shot anyway, you're going right. to do it. And yeah, you know, right. I, I, I don't see human creativity being, in any way threatened necessarily by the AI side of things. Um, right. In terms of landscape photography anyway, I can sort of see where product photography might head that way because you now got the ability in the hands of a, uh, a creative director who doesn't know how to, doesn't know what an ISO setting is or whatever. <laughs> he doesn't right. need the photographer now because he can type a few words in and the computer spits out a nice image the, the, the image way that he wants it. Right. And he gets half a dozen choices like he wants and, and so forth, you know. So I, I can kind of see where product photography might might get eaten away a little bit, but, you know. I, th mate, I think it's an art <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think as an artistic pursuit, and just as as kind of the way, the one thing that I don't think, at least not yet, that AI <laughs> uh, can recreate or reproduce for us is experience. And I always think about my 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 brother, who my brother uh, started and owned and operated a bike shop uh, yeah. for years, you know, for decades. And at some point, after he was in the bicycle business for quite a while. He realized that, um, you know, you could go on the internet and order any bike, any bike part cheaper than he could even get it himself, let alone sell it to you. So yeah. you're always going to go online and get a better deal. So he patterned his whole bike shop around experience because cyclists love and are passionate about riding bikes and yep. hanging out with yep. other people who love and writing, uh, who yep. love writing. It's like bikes. photographers, like hanging around with other photographers. Yeah. Exactly, and what you can't, what you, yep, and what you can't do on whatever bike part website yep. is you can't go to his shop and sit down and have him pour you a beer and sit there at the counter drinking a beer, chatting with other cyclists 
yeah. while he works on your bike. You know, that's that the, the internet can't replace that experience. And that's what I think about photography too. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, uh, that's fantastic. Well, nearing the end of our time together, uh, I've got a couple of questions. One is, are there any photographers out there that you think I should be talking to? I would say anybody from the Photo Cascadia team sure. uh, would be a great person to interview. So I, I, you could just go to the Photo Cascadia site and pick a name or pick them all. <laughs> They're all um, great folks and have interesting perspectives and stories and really talented. Um, and then, um, you know, a lot of my photography friends and colleagues kind of in the Western U.S. that I know well, uh, or I think names that are probably familiar to a lot of people, um, uh, but people like, um, you know, Alex Noriega and yep. obviously, yep. you know, Nick Page and Ryan Dyer and those folks are all well known. Um, but uh, I think there are some great lesser known photographers out there as well that are always great to talk to. Um, and, you know, I run across so many of them all the time and I, I, I probably what I should do is go kind of look through my, my email list and my messages and send you some names because. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, Fantastic. Yeah. I'm going to do, I'm going to do that because there are so many really great photographers out there that aren't on podcasts all the time already that uh, I just think have really important things to share. Mm, fantastic. Thank you. Lastly, and for many who listen, this is probably my most important question. Do you like pineapple on pizza? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I don't know what the right answer in Australia is to that. There isn't question. one. <laughs> Oh, okay. Because um, certainly parts of the world, there is a right answer. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All, all of my um, Italian guests are, are an absolute no. <laughs> is that right? Is that right? Um, well, I grew up, uh, anybody who's from Oregon, um, or especially Southern Oregon, will know uh, Abby's Legendary Pizza, uh -huh. which is the pizza I grew up on in the little, you know, podunk town that I grew up in. Um, but yeah, the Hawaiian pizza with the Canadian bacon and pineapple, that yeah. is a staple in small town uh, Oregon living. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> we <laughs> we have your, a, a your, weird one. Sorry. I was going to say, what's your answer to that question? My answer is I won't necessarily order it, but if it's on the pizza, I'm happy to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I won't necessarily go out of the way, but uh, we, we have this weird anomaly over here in uh, Australia where we also do pineapple on burgers. Um, and also for pizzas, we've we've got a uh, an egg. So you basically crack a raw egg on the pizza before it goes in the oven and, you know, you yeah. can pretty much have... The, the I think the typical is it has, you know, bacon, maybe pepperoni, but bacon, cheese tomato base and the uh, the egg cracked on top of it. That's, a, that's an Aussie pizza. Egg on pizza is great for me and uh, pineapple on anything, burgers, you name it. Yeah. Uh, pineapple's great. Fantastic. All right. Well, it's been really brilliant having uh, you on the show today, Sean. Fantastic getting to know you better and learning more about what you do and how you do it. Where can people find your work? 
So um, my website is the main place to kind of find me and it's outdoorexposurephotography.com, uh, which is a kind of a long name. You can just Google Sean Bagshaw uh, and put photography on the end and you'll find me as well. And of course, all the usual social media places out there um, and YouTube and all of that. Um, and the Photo Cascadia website as well. Definitely check out Photo Cascadia. And yeah, those are the main places. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Thank you, Grant. This has been great. You're a really good podcaster and interviewer. I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. And a good photographer, I'll say as well. Um, I'll I'll take that. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon.